Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My head was so occupied with finding work as well. that I was like, flip, this is like more work than having a secure job. Like at least when I had a day job, I'd know when my evenings were free. But I was constantly hustling around and that was taking up a lot of time and then trying to do auditions between that and, and do a good job um, was hard. And I just felt like I lost myself. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Balancing Acts. In this conversation, I talk with actor, comedian and writer, Jen Wakefield. Perfect. Hi, this is Steve Whiteley, comedian, actor, filmmaker and writer, all round ADHD creative. And welcome to my new podcast, Balancing Acts, where I talk to an array of creatives ranging from comedians, actors, directors, all sorts. And we talk about how they find a sense of balance or not between their creative lives and their everyday lives and how that has an impact on their mental health and beyond. Balancing Acts is now made in association with The Comedy Crowd, who are a website and community that support independent comedy creators such as myself. I have a Comedy Crowd short, which is a a two-minute video, one of my characters, on their website. They showcase the best new videos on Comedy Crowd TV, which is comedycrowdtv.com, and across media platforms, so do go and check them out. As a comedian, Jen has performed in both sketch and solo shows at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Her 2017 Edinburgh show, Girl in the Corner, was transferred to Soho Theatre for the Soho Rising Festival. She's also performed stand-up at the BBC Asian Network Comedy Showcase in Edinburgh, which was aired on BBC iPlayer. As an actor, she has performed in Riot Girls, a hidden camera show for Channel 4, and BBC Three's Blind Boy Undestroys the World. As a presenter... Jen hosted the six-episode series of the podcast The Comeback for BBC Radio 1, so she has done a lot. This was a great conversation. Jen and I discussed how she went from being a full-time teacher to an actor and comedian before reaching a point where she decided actually she just wanted to focus on writing. So Jen breaks down that whole decision process of, of why she arrived at that point where she felt that really in order to prioritize her sense of well-being and really to do what she felt like she wanted to do as a creative she decided to to focus on writing and um, put the performance side of things on on the back seat but going back a bit we talk about our debut edinburgh fringe experiences because we both did our 
our first Edinburgh Fringe together and we were kind of like buddies, uh, Edinburgh Fringe buddies. We did previews together and Jen went up there with, um, with her friend Vicky and they did their sketch show Jiggle and Hide. And so, yeah, we talk about the, the highs and lows of, of our first Edinburgh Fringe experiences. And then Jen went back the following year and she had an amazing experience. She went back as a, did a solo show and had so many opportunities that uh, arose at the back of, of that Edinburgh Fringe experience, including starring in Riot Girls, Channel 4, uh, Hidden Camera Show, hosting a podcast on BBC Radio 1, getting signed to an agent. Just loads of things happened. And as a result of that, Jem felt overwhelmed. And we discussed this idea of you know, having imposter syndrome when you get this sort of success so quickly and, and feel maybe that you're undeserving of it. She describes how the Edinburgh Fringe show that sort of got a lot of heat was based on an article she had written and how she arrived at the point where she decided, actually, this is what I need to, to focus on in terms of, of a show. She describes how Soho Theatre came on board to support the show and her experiences of doing their, their comedy lab course, the experience of acting in Blind Boy's hidden camera show Underworld on BBC Three. We talk about why authenticity is, is so important to, to her and, and why having her old group of friends outside of the entertainment industry is so important to Jen. We discuss why she's strict about how she spends her time. We discuss the writing projects that she's been working on and is currently working on, what she does when she hits a creative brick wall, why she battles with the, the needs for permission to be creative and I guess why industry validation can be so important to a to a creative and, and to a writer. Jen explains why she's productive when she's busy rather than when she has loads of free time on her hands and why she initiates social arrangements with her friends and loads, loads more. This was a really great one. It was it was really nice to sit down with Jen and uh, yeah, go over her whole journey in terms of how she's got to the point she's currently at now. So this is really useful if you're a, I guess, actor or comedian, a writer, aspiring writer. This is going to be a great conversation to listen to. So over to Jen. Perfect. So how are you finding lockdown at the moment then in terms of your creativity? Um, yeah, I've had a, be- a mixture of feeling pressure to be productive because we've got all this time and having this fantasy of what I could produce, which hasn't been met. But then I've also got this balanced voice going, don't be hard on yourself. Like, that's probably quite normal. Um, So if I do a bit of stuff, I'm like, good. I just reward myself with like a biscuit and a cup of tea. (laughs) And if I don't, then I try not to be too hard on myself because of all the balancing of everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think speaking to a lot of people, I think a a lot of creative people are going through the same thing. It's like, yeah. yeah, that it's exactly right. That balance between wanting to be productive, but also not wanting to be too hard on yourself if you're not. Yeah, I think that's the most important bit, isn't it? Because you can feel a lot of pressure to be. And I suppose giving yourself times to do, like sticking to times of things and like this today at midday, it's like you have like, I think when you've got lots of time as well, sometimes you get tempted to be like, actually, I thought I was going to do yoga at this time, so I might get it moved. But, <laughs> but you just have to kind of, give yourself a bit of discipline to just like stick to a few things as well. So are you quite structured with your day by, by nature? Like regardless of lockdown or not, are you usually quite a structured person in terms of how your, yeah, your daily routines with, with work? Um, I would say no, um, but not, but it's not chaotic either. So 
I am really grateful that as of last week, I got given a school timetable, which, which actually it, it kind of had, to, it, it came from some, if I hadn't been given it, maybe I would have had to make one eventually, I think. Yeah. But, um, but I had a, an Easter break and then I had, I have a four day teaching timetable and I love having a timetable. So maybe it is teaching me that like, if I hadn't been given one, I probably should have made one, but my unstructured life isn't super chaotic. I'd say it's not like, it's not like hourly timetabled or whatever, but it's, I have sections of the day where I think the morning I'll do this. I'll go for a walk at some point to break it up. I'll get some sort of job done, maybe something creative done. And then dinner is all at a certain time. So it's not super like mental when it's not timetabled, but I appreciate having this school timetable. I do think it's beneficial. Uh, I don't know about you, but my highlight of the day during this lockdown period is the lead up to dinner and dinner itself. Yeah. Yeah, it is literally lunch and for it's lunch and dinner, and I find yeah. that bit between lunch and dinner really drags as well. Massively, and that's when the <laughs> snack starts happening. Yeah, snack accidents. Exactly. So you and I, um, we shared our first Edinburgh Fringe experience together in 2016. <laughs> yeah. And so prior to that, you you were doing you were presenting on local radio station, and. Right. But you hadn't done any stand-up, right? Yes, right. You, you're a full-time teacher. Yes, I was actually, yeah. Ooh, and, at that time. And, and then you decided to just take a leap of faith and do an Edinburgh show. How did that come about? Um, okay, so, so um, I'd say that the seed of inspiration to, be in, to do comedy came from, I actually wanted to be a presenter, and then I also wanted to dabble in some other things, and I realised that comedians get opportunities to do all sorts of things like Jack Whitehall. I was like, Oh, he's written a sitcom and he presents. And, and I was like, okay, maybe I'll try comedy. So I did pursue. Uh, and, and also um, at the time I was working with, um, I'm a drama teacher now at the same school I was then. So I've gone back there and the, and the music teacher there was married to a comedian who, who, um, and I was like, wow, he's doing it as his job. And, and um, that kind of inspired me. So I did do some, uh, I did, like a stand-up beginner's course, but I didn't, I, I did like one stand-up showcase. Then I found Sketch and I went to see like Max Nivan and I hadn't seen any of those kind of people before. And I was like, oh, this is what I want to do because I kind of want to act a bit as well. I, I'm a bit like, like greedy. <laughs> I kind of wanted to do it all and try it all. And, and it's also a sort of sense of like unfulfilled, just like buffet table vibe where you're like, I just want to try everything and see what my thing is, you know? Mm. Um, so that, so seeing sketch shows after trying stand up felt like a good balance between like the acting, which I was more comfortable with and had done a little bit when I was younger and stuff. Um, and like writing comedy and I could do it with a, with a sketch partner, which, which whom I found doing some fringe plays that year as well. Um, so yeah. You were, you were performing in fringe plays that year. I, I actually did. Yes. Yeah. So I did uh, the year before Edinburgh Fringe, um, yeah. when, I was, when I was also still teaching, I actually did <clears throat> three fringe plays um like in and around teaching as well oh cool how did you come about those how, how did you get, so, get rolling those? yeah I googled I just googled like um acting courses beginner acting courses okay. went on one and the gut the person who ran them also put on plays and he cast he saw me in the workshop and was like I want to cast you in this play and then it led to another play um and another play <laughs> and then right, oh, I yeah. didn't know that I didn't know that but that's cool and then the following year you went back to Edinburgh actually before let's pause there for a sec 
how did you find your first year at Edinburgh? I mean, I kind of know because we were, we were in it together, but if you want to explain what, yeah, how, what your highs and lows were, how did you find that experience? Yeah, it was an absolute baptism of fire, obviously. Um, baptism of fire is the, word, the, the main words, phrase here. I'd say <laughs> it was, it was, it was, do you know what? It was probably one of my favorite like memories ever. In terms really? of like learn, in terms of like learning and okay. and being pivotal, you know, yeah, there was some tough. There were tough times, obviously. The venue, I learned a lot about venues, and like wasn't so pleased with our venue because it wasn't necessarily what we wanted. But it was like it was a learning curve. Um, learned loads about flyering and um, got really robust when you have to perform to like two people and there was only two of us in in our show anyway so things like that really toughen you up um and you become quite resilient and so yeah I would say it was good fun it was also it was quite anxiety inducing at times it was gray it was rainy um but it was also a massive like in terms of what I learned if I was looking at a learning like a learning phase of the year I learned masses in that little chunk if I'm honest mm. like more so than I've learned in modules on my degree <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah because it's like real life experience isn't it you're getting yeah. on a daily basis definitely yeah and, and did, did you, you find it did you find it a similar experience Steve would you say or yeah just it was highs and lows for me for sure <laughs> uh, the first two weeks was grueling because I was, I had two venues in that first month. Oh God, yeah. Months. Oh my God, I remember your first venue, how dodgy it was. <laughs> yeah, and, so, and hardly anyone turned up because it was midnight in the middle of nowhere and there was always exactly. fights breaking out. There's yeah, there always... was fight breaking out when we first came to see you actually. <laughs> yeah, every night. Yeah. You know when you're in your venue, you know when you're in the building and like, there's like a common area, let's say there's like a pub or there's a bar, you go yeah. into that bar and you just shout to, you know, you just say, hey, everyone, just let you know, we've got a show starting. Okay. And then yeah. it's just like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I can remember. I actually remember walking into it and that me, Vicky and I walked in, he was my sketch partner, and um, someone, a, a man had his trousers down, like his jeans down and just his boxes and there was a crowd around. And I'm, someone just, they looked at us as we walked in and went, you just missed a magic trick. And we were like, oh, we just ran out. And got, we ran you know, out the saddest got, thing was, the saddest thing was, he got more laughs in that moment than I got throughout <laughs> my whole run. Oh, God. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely, um, it was uh, swings and roundabouts for sure. Yeah. Um, so you had that experience and then you went back the following year as you went back and you did a solo show and you had an incredible run. Like loads yeah. of things happen off the back of that. Yes, um, I did that show. Actually. And that, yeah. that show you wrote off the back of writing an article, right? Yeah. yeah. Dem Guns. Yeah. Do you want to, so how did that, do you want to explain, how did the seed of the idea to write that show come about? When did you write that article? Well, it's a good question. I think what happened was I looked back at everything I tried that year. So I looked back at that, like 2015, no, 16 was the, between 2015 and 2016. Um, that was like that first year of trying everything, like doing radio, doing comedy, doing all the courses, short courses I did and everything. And so I, I thought, oh, I need to reflect now and see what's actually worked and what's not worked. And, um, and my sketch partner at the time also said that she she was quite interested interested in doing a solo show as well. So we came back from in September with the plan to do a sketch show again, and then we realised that actually maybe we try a solo show each. 
but we're still, you know, we still were going to go up together. We're still very much good friends, but we were like, actually, we both have different things to say. And what I thought about was, the thought was, okay, what have I done this year that's been the most effective that I didn't really even have to try that hard at? if that makes sense, because sometimes you try really, really hard at something and you're like, why are they getting it? And I'm not or whatever. And I thought about that article I put out and that was just from my experience and my, you know, you know, people say, write about what you know. And I wrote this essay um, about my heritage and stuff and um, for Galdem and it got such a huge reception, like, you know, when it, when it came out in June, 2016. And I was like, maybe there's something in that then if people are interested in it and people are responding to it, maybe then I should use that to, to like as my springboard. And in terms of your identity, it was, it was focusing on you as a sort of with your Anglo Asian heritage. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and also kind of a little bit, I suppose a little bit about colorism and, um, and like identity in, in a different perspective because of like, because if it, about being ethnically ambiguous and, and how that's been in my yeah. life, like what well, that's meant, and also being that, that sense of being detached from, from what people think you should be as an, as an Asian, mixed Asian person. Yeah, so that's, that was it. And so um, I used that to, to, as my inspiration to write the show. But I had to do a bit of like, I had to do a bit of maturing though, because um, I was still quite concerned. Like in radio, I was still doing, like I remember a lot of people in that presentry world, maybe not a lot of people, but I felt like I had to still look quite, like be quite feminine and like do these like, you know, selfies where I do that and like have a certain image. And I was like, oh, I need to kind of like tune into some, a different energy here. And that's where I I like came up with that character, Natasha G Storm Flex, who's a bit more tomboyish and, and has this um, other energy, which I suppose embodies the energy of like the music I grew up with and maybe even my my brother a bit as well <laughs> if that makes sense he was quite in, yeah. um, an influence in my life yeah cool and so you went up there you did the solo run and then what happened off the back of you doing that solo run so um the kit the, the big the big thi- thing here is that I I realized that Soho Theatre were um like quite a a good platform and also for me to be able to be part of but I really believed in in what they do and I find that they genuinely give voices to people who are not necessarily getting there who, who are offering a different point of view so I was like I need to see if I can get onto a course there maybe because maybe they can help me so I got into their Edinburgh lab just before I went to Soho uh, went to Edinburgh um with my with my show concept and that was like a 10-week course and it gave me like a ready-made community um and lots of people giving advice and people who were looking for um there's a thing called soho rising which is when you come back from edinburgh they were they sometimes look for shows within their young company to put on when you come back so i was mindful of that but that really helped me because i had their support and they also sent people my way and things while i was in edinburgh but when i went to edinburgh so um a couple of things happened so yeah i i also was had a small part in late night gimp fights um uh like dance dance crew it was a very like you know it was like last minute put together but they wanted some they wanted some gimps basically <laughs> to come and do some stuff in their show and we did it because it was good fun and i like i love a bit of dance it was just a bit of fun and also it gave us a pleasance pass which you know that's what a lot of people do it for and um but also i didn't realize that steve marmion was directing that show he was the uh artistic director of soho theater and he he 
basically um, also puts on a pantomime at Oxford Playhouse every year. So because of being in that, um, in Late Night Gimp Fight, we, um, he actually decided to cast me. He saw, he saw a role that I could do and he cast me in um, Oxford Playhouse Panto. So that was one thing. I also had a producer come to my show um, who cast me in a, my first TV show called Riot Girls. And I found out, actually, I don't, I don't know if she found me on a listicle, but a lot of people, you know, some people were really good at sharing. Like I think um, Bisha K. Ali shared like different shows um, by women of color and things and sent that to producers. And that was, I didn't even know her. So things like that really helped. But I don't think I was found that way for Riot Girls. I think they, uh, Gary, who, run, who runs Brown Eyed Boy, told, uh, meant, is really big on finding people on the fringes. Um, so, and Right Girls is a hidden camera show on Channel 4, right? Yes, it's a hidden camera comedy show about like feminist issues at the core, like not having enough um, public toilets and tampon tax um, and all the things, you know, things like that, that we were using as the headline for our, for our stunts, basically. Um, so yeah, so quite a few things. So I got cast in my first, you know, proper acting role, Oxford Playhouse, got my first TV role. Oh, I also got um, to host, I, uh, BBC Radio 1 decided to give me my own podcast as well. So that was cool. And I got an agent. So yeah, it was a good year. <laughs> That's like a crazy successful Edinburgh run. Like if, 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 if people get, if, if people get like one of those things, then like, you know, they'd consider that a very successful run to have all of that happen. And also considering that's only your second year of doing the fringe and you'd only been performing for what, a year, year and a half by that point, really? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Crazy. Yeah. I felt very fortunate and, uh, I didn't really know if I'm honest, I, I actually didn't know how to take it all. Like I think, I think I found it quite, it's really funny cause you obviously go through a lot of hard shit to get the things you need, you want. Sure. And it's really weird when they come along. Sometimes you don't know how to take it, if that makes sense. So how, well, how did you feel when it all happened? What was going through your mind? I felt really overwhelmed. And like, I felt like I, should, I was, was grateful. I couldn't quite believe that, they, that I was like, I was like, surely it takes longer. And, um, you know, I, like, I, it was just a bizarre, it was just a bizarre experience. And I felt like there was some disparity between the people who were already doing those things. Like they were more famous or you know, had done more than me. So why was I getting these things? And then maybe and I was thinking, should I try and grow into being like them? Should I try and make myself more like them? Or who, am I okay being me? Like, what's happened? It was a bit confusing. So was it like almost a case of imposter syndrome? Yeah, definitely imposter syndrome. And, and I guess like, um, yeah, yeah, imposter syndrome probably sums it up best. But it was just, it was quite an, it was quite mad what happened you know like I, just, I, just, I couldn't really believe it so how did you work through all those sort of like feelings and and thoughts how to sort of get to a point where you were okay with it um what did you or is it just a continuation of just sort of like feeling oh shit this is happening but I'm just gonna go with it <laughs> yeah a little bit like I think because obviously they all happened at, at one like in different stages so like the panto was first and I was thrust into that world and there were other people who had, who had done different things in that show. So I, I was um, like, I had come from Edinburgh Fringe and so had Amru who was in Denim and, and then like um, Rebecca, Lucy Taylor, she's from, she was from a band. So she, they weren't all actors, if you know what I mean. 
Um, so that was good. But again, so different because I'd, I'd mainly still been doing teaching as my job. And teaching is a very like you go in every day. Everyone's there to teach the kids like, you know, it's not about you at all. So it was weird, this kind of sense of, I think what I found weird was the talking about myself all the time. I was like, just found it a bit uncomfortable. And, I, and I'm not criticizing the fact that you have to do that. It's just that it was just unnatural. It's just so contrasting to, to what you do in, in school. And so um, it, that came. And then Riot Girls was great because like, um, it was a team of girls and you, know, you become friends through that experience. And, that was, and, there, and I feel like I went on a bit of a roller coaster, you know, of doing like, you know, going and doing it was like down to earth moments in school, but then there was like show busy moments. And that was like the up and down I was experiencing quite often. I'd say the most imposter syndrome I felt was doing my podcast though. Cause I'd have people on like London Hughes and Jamali Maddox. And I'd be like, you know, like hosting it thinking, what the hell? Like these are like proper, proper comedians. And here am I going, bye guys. <laughs> and I had massive imposter syndrome. It felt like the way I describe it is that I was in year seven and they were in year 11. So how do you push through that when you're interviewing those guys and you get that thought in your head? Like, cause it can, it can take yeah. you out of the moment, can't it? When that's yeah. happening. How do you bring yourself back in to just sort of be in it? I just use my, uh, my Vicky, my, 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 um, who I call, you know, my sketch partner who, you know, she always says this phrase, which I always turn to. And I remember once we were having a little bit of a panic before a show and she took me by the shoulder and she was like, she's like, she's like, one of my teachers said to me once, you just, this is where you just need to trust yourself as a performer. And I just always turn to that phrase. It's not, it, it, I was building up like it was some sort of massive, profound thing there, but it, it what it is to me, like trust yeah. yourself as a performer. And I think, well, it's worked all those times. It worked the time I did that, that did that, did that. And that thought always centers me. So I always think of Vicky taking by the shoulders and going, trust yourself as a performer. <laughs> That's, great. That's great. And then yeah. after doing Right Girls, is that what then led to you uh, featuring in the, in Blind Boys uh, show? Live Boy Undestroys yeah. the World, is that right? That's right, yeah. So, um, so um, Errol, Errol Etienne was directing um, Riot Girls and he needed someone to, I think they had been casting and then a thing, things weren't, I, I don't know how it had been going and then they, something fell through and they were like, we need someone quite soon. Um, and I was subsequently available and I fit, kind of fit the criteria and he'd obviously known me from working in Riot Girls. So um, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So yeah, that led on to Blind Boy. What was, was that experience like? Because some of that was like, you were coming across some shady characters in that. Yes. Do want, first of all, sorry, do you want to explain what the, the concept of the show is? Because it's, it's, just, yeah. it's just been released or is it going to be released, sorry, shortly? So, um, yeah, the series came out uh, just before Christmas. So it is still, it's still available for people who want to view it. Okay, um, yeah. But I, and, I remember just seeing the clips come, when they sort yeah. of did uh, clips on, on YouTube, etc. I saw a few of those like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a crazy job. It was um, basically um, the point of, the, of Blind Boy is that it was actually uh, had this label, like tag label of the good guys. So the element was that it was like a, a, a kind of watchdog slash comedy mashup show where they were kind of calling out people and situations um, who were made in, in society who were making it unfair. So like, you know, housing was one of the episodes. Um, work was one of the episodes. So that was all about like the gig economy zero hour contracts and and actually looking at people and what they're doing you know really like exploring these people who are exploiting basically and this was on bbc3 right on bbc3 and it has a real maverick feel to it because blind boy 
you know, is from the rubber bandits, wears a plastic bag over his head. He's got like quite a big following and um, he's, he's very intelligent and eloquent, but, but not your usual mainstream presenter. So it had that maverick element to it, which I really like, and it has used a lot of archive footage um, and that therefore the show feels quite different as well. And so, yeah, it's a mixture of like hidden undercover journal journalists going undercover to, to, to uncover things. Um, blind boy doing prank calls himself and um, pieces to camera, um, sketches um, and investigative reports, basically. So like, I remember seeing the, the, one of the clips I saw is when you were meeting with a potential punter, you were undercover and a punter is looking for sex, right? So you're meeting kind of like shady characters. I know obviously it's, it's like hidden camera, et cetera, but were there any points where you sort of like felt, I don't know, in, in danger or, or how, or were sort of like, did there, was any fear coming up in terms of like these type of people that you were interacting with? Yeah, I mean, um, so yeah, in that instance, in the first one, it was sex for rent. So they were basically ex trying to uh, exploit vulnerable young women, basically, and saying, look, in return for rent, you can come and live with me for, and, and there might be some exchange. And, and it was a bit, sometimes they were a bit vague, but it alluded to the fact they wanted sex in exchange. And so my job was to get it out of them and to like be, say, look, what is it that you want? But I, I kind of had to do it as a character and then try and turn the power, um, do a power flip so that by the end of the sketch, they were no longer the powerful ones and, they were, and the joke was on them. And that was my job each time. And then the second in the series, I had to do it for uh, loans. Instead of interest, they were asking for sex and, um, and, for, and for work as well. So they were trying to um, exploit the PA, like personal assistant roles and stuff. So each time it was the same, the gist was the same basically. So I would be, I would be prepped before. So I'd have like a beat sheet of, or we'd go, we'd, I'd write, you know, come up with it together with the director we did like a beat sheet of what we wanted to achieve in the in the hidden camera like you know stunt and then um but each person they'd found and obviously that's a difficult really difficult job just getting people to come and meet you anyway but they all had they were all slightly different so I had to think about um their context and what I could bring to it to make them you know just to get an idea of their personality as well because you've got to actually there's only a three minute edit but often I'm there with them for like half an hour of, could be 40 minutes as well, uh, trying to get what we need to get. So I'm really primed and like I've got, there's a lot of people around, there's like people with, there's often producers with cameras around doing what they need to do. And the director was often, was always close by and they also hire security for every shoot. So it means that they know I'm on WhatsApp. I don't know if I'm allowed to say all this, but I'm, I'm basically able to communicate to the group where I am and what's happening and they know exactly where I am before the target comes. Oh yeah. Okay. And they know so, so happens, I guess they... that, that gives you a sense of security. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you, you do, you know, you're in a channel four show, BBC three show, you've done a play, you've done, you know, loads of things have happened. You got signed to a big agent. And then I remember we spoke a while ago um, and you were saying that you want to take a step back from performing and focus more on writing. And yeah. so many people, you know, once they get to that, when, once they get to that point, they'd be like, oh, cool, like this, this, is this is happening? Like, you know, yeah. I'm kind of like almost like on my way, would just keep on going in that direction. What was it that made you sort of like stop and just decide, actually, I, I want to focus more on, on writing now than, than performing? 
another good question, really. I think um, I was because of that feeling of uncertainty. I felt so was so extended during my time trying like performing. Um, you mean in terms of when you say perform? Do you mean in terms of financial uh, uncertainty um, of not knowing when the yeah. next job's coming in? Yeah, it was basically a mixture of things. So the financial side was really challenging. Um, just trying to make it work between so I was doing oh, I'm really grateful like I'm a teacher and I've got a qualification because it means I can tutor at, at different times I can do supply teaching I often did cover teaching at my old school so I knew everyone and they've my they've always been like my saving grace really so that was tough um I think so managing that which is hard and then getting like if I got an audition through and I've have a day or you know two to learn that script around it all like that was such a new discipline for me and I don't know how good I was at that, if I'm honest. Like, I tried my best to learn scripts and, and do self-tapes, but that was I found that really, really hard. Um, I don't know if, I'm, if I was, had the right disciplines. I'm sure you can learn if you go online and you're like, how to learn lines quickly? Did it? But I just found my head, was so, my head was so occupied with finding work as well. that I was like, flip, this is like more work than having a secure job. Like, at least when I had a day job, I'd know when my evenings were free. But I was constantly hustling around. and that was taking up a lot of time and then trying to do auditions between that and, and do a good job um, was hard. And I just felt like I lost myself a bit as well. Like I can't, it's a good question Steve, because there's some parts of this I haven't fully worked out myself, but all I knew was that actually I needed, um, I, I wasn't sleeping very well. So my sleep was really bad. Um, and that was annoying. And also I, I, you know, was in a new relation, you know, I had started a relationship and I found that, um, I, I I was finding that like I was like oh I don't know where I am whether I'm coming or going but luckily luckily he works in comedy so he understands so that wasn't so problematic but I just felt this desire for a bit more like a bit more structure a bit more security a bit more safety and I realized that actually that that needed to, that was stronger than my desire to be on camera and to be the performer but I still wanted to be creative so I was like I really like the writing side I like the create I need the creation but I also really like teaching. Like, I really like it as a job. I like that I know that I do my job when I go to school. I'd, I'd see the kids. I do that bit. And I come home and I'm like, I've done something off service, I suppose. Whereas, and I don't mean that in a self-righteous way, because I know a lot of entertainment can, be, can serve people and stories can help people and everything. And comedy helps relieve people and, you know, gives you a laugh. But it's just, for me, that's those things. Those are the things that were going through my head. And so this job, a job came up. Um, to do like a four day job came up to be back at my old school teaching drum, which I loved. I still loved that job. And I was like, look, if I go to my deathbed, like next year, anytime soon, I'll be really happy with what I've done. So if I can be a writer and a teacher, now I've got an income. Um, I don't feel like I need to be performing anymore at the moment. Like I'm, I feel like I've, I've proved myself that I can do it. Perfect. Hello, sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation, which I'm enjoying, I'm sure, just as much as you are. But I need to give you guys a little reminder. Uh, if you like this conversation, this episode, if you like balancing acts in general, then please do subscribe to us, rate and review us because it makes the world of difference. And the more reviews we get, the more rates we get, the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral, whatever that means. Okay, back to the chat. I think it's really impressive to be able to make those decisions because it's like you clearly know yourself. I think that is an advantage. Yeah. Like I've spoken to like you know a few people 
on the podcast who have got into this, you know, comedy or performing, whatever, a little bit later rather than early. And there are benefits to that. And um, I think, yeah, but in your case, it's it's like, that's, I think that's really impressive to, even though you've got all these things that are happening to be able to like dissect them and analyze it and make the decision where actually, no, I'm going to put my sort of sense of well-being before all yeah. of that. That also take, yeah, I think you have to have a good uh, hold on your ego as well to be able to make that decision. Um, yeah, definitely. No, you're right, Steve, because sometimes it is, it is a bit like, obviously some people might see it as cowardly, like, oh, you've given up, you know, you've given up too soon. And I've battled with that a lot because, first of all, I battled with it when I got into my relationship because I had this conversation with another friend. I was like, oh, I feel like I'm not edgy anymore because I'm not, you know, on my own and I've got this boyfriend and he's white male and, you know, all this sort of thing. And it was like, oh, God, you know, I just exhausted myself with all these thoughts about what was right and all these different communities I should be fitting into and how I should be appearing. And all that was coming, going around in my head all the time um, while I was performing. And I don't know why, why that voice was so strong. Why, you know, because I'm sure there are a lot of people who were just like, well, I'm just me, you know. But for some reason that used to be going around in my head a lot. And I like, I just like authenticity and, and truth. And I felt like there, there is an element to the industry where I feel like there's, there's a lot of inauthenticity. And there's a lot of scenes and a lot of people wanting to be in these different things. And I'm, I don't like that. I don't want to chase after that inauthenticity. I'd rather be true, even if it, you know, and however that comes to me, I just need to make sure I listen to what my true thing is and be okay with it and be like, oh, do you know what? I'm a teacher now and I do a bit of writing. Sorry if I'm not edgy enough for you, but that's what I'm doing, you know? <laughs> that's great. I think that's really great. Yeah, I mean, that just sort of shows your own authenticity that you're able to make that decision. Um, but I think like that idea of um, questioning who I am, what am I? I think no matter how like someone might seem that they're, sort of, and there are, don't get me wrong, there are people that are comfortable in their own skin and know exactly who yeah. they are. But yeah, yeah. The, the, large, the large majority, particularly of performers or creative people, are all trying to work it out, especially at an earlier stage, you know, until you've found your thing or your voice, people, everyone's going through that same thing, questioning, oh, is this who I am? And, and it's, it's, yeah. it's like, and, and what, what appears like really sort of like of importance to us as an outsider's perspective, people don't sort of take the same uh, degree of notice. So does that make sense? So like, if I build something in my own head, I'm talking about from my own personal experience, like, let's say I post something and I go, Oh yeah. no, I don't know. Yeah. Like no one else will really care. They'll look at it and then yeah. just sort of like, just go on to the next thing. But in my head, I've sort of built it up as a, as, as a bigger thing. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Get you. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, true. It's true. Yeah. But managing all of that is a lot of noise though, isn't it? To manage because a lot of our work is about what other people, how other people receive it. And, um, you know, I think that managing that, if you can manage that and, and everything, that's, that's an, a success in itself, I think. So what do you, what, what, what do, you do now or what were you doing then to, um, I guess, to balance sort of all that noise? And, and I know you're saying when you sort of had self-sabotage, you'd give yourself that saying, et cetera. Do you do anything? Like, what, what do you need to, like, keep you going? Do you sort of exercise regularly or any sort of, like, hobbies or rituals that you do on a regular basis? Yeah, good question. I think I, 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 I meditate, but I'm not a regular meditator. Um, I, 
I do have a little exercise routine now in lockdown, but that, that wasn't necessarily the case. So I think exercise is a small feature. Just having a little bit of like making sure I do that every week, that helps. Um, but for me, it was, I think, just make, do you know what? It was um, keeping in touch with like a, the few good friends that I've made who've known me before, I like throughout for a long time, I suppose, or who really know me. Like, um, and accept me in all states, like the comfort between <clears throat> keeping in touch and having those good friends, like before I did was doing comedy and stuff is that they knew me as like, as Jen before, like my, they actually know me as Jenny because like, you know, I actually, ch I changed my name to Jen, not changed it, but I, Jen Wakefield was what I entered all my like performing stuff as, um, okay. it's not massive change, but they're all like, hi Jenny. And when my right. book. When my boyfriend, he was like, why is everyone calling you Jenny? I was like, oh, I am actually Jenny. But, <laughs> but like, you know, so like that, knowing them and knowing that, you know, having them and deciding I was going to invest, they are the people I'm investing in. My family, those key friends and the friends who like are very down to earth, basically, and very authentic. And I, I've met a lot of those people in comedy, but I've met people who are not like that as well. And actually met lots of great people, but some stick, don't they? And they sure. feel like you're people. So I think that is the key thing, basically spending time with people who make, uh, who really know me well um, and have known me for a while um, and aren't really in this, in the creative world, actually. Some, some are, but most of them aren't. They're just people who've known me for a long time outside of this. And same with my partner as well. Like, you know, he, we're very similar. He's in this world, but he also sees the BSE elements as well. And that, that's really nice, you know. Um, and he sees the positive, you know, so we've got similar taste in comedy and things we watch and do, but, um, we also will look at a comment on Twitter and be like, Oh God, that, you know, and <laughs> that, that makes me feel better. Cause I'm like, Oh, you know, he sees the world, the way I see it, spending time with those people and, and family and friends. I sort of streamlined all the things down like a pie chart. Like that, that's what I'm spending time with those people doing. This makes me feel happy. And like, just just taking just slowing down a bit basically because my life was absolutely hectic before like really hectic um and realizing that slowing down has helped me sleep better getting good sleep so i invest in making sure like i have more baths to get good sleep because i had proper insomnia for a while as well <laughs> god is that like a right state now i'm listing it off to you or i think i was in a bit of a state really if i'm honest in order to do all those things it, there it comes at a bit of a cost i suppose so i've centered back on the things that are important to me now and I try and be quite strict about about how I spend my time. That's great. So I know you you signed to an, uh, an agent. What was there an issue once you said to them, "Look, guys, I I don't want to perform so much now. I'm, I'm focusing on writing." Or were they like, "Yeah, great, go go ahead and focus on that." Yeah, another another really good question because actually that that worried me a lot at the time. So I actually signed with um, one agent, and then I came to a point where basically some people from that agency um, had left. And so I was the newest signing and my agent was really great. And she was like, it's nothing to do with you. You're great. You're great, but you're going to need a lot of pushing your new talent. And I don't have the time and energy to put into that right now, basically. So I'll represent you until you find someone new, which was, which was very fair. And, and actually, you know, that agency was great, but actually I did feel a lot of pressure because I was getting some big auditions and, and I'm not sure if I was ready for them being quite truthful, but it was a good experience, you know? So in some ways I was like, okay, cool. Like that's great, but maybe, maybe it might be good for me to find something different. So I went in the process of finding someone, someone different who actually was like, 
they're quite like you could do presenting, you could do writing. They're quite flexible. This agency and I, which I, you know, I really love, really like them. My last agent was great, but this was just something that had evolved, you know. And so I went with them, and initially as a performer, but also I, I actually said I, I was already starting to make this transition to thinking about my writing more. So I, I made that a quite a big part of the pitch of what I wanted to do as well. So it was quite. By the time I signed, I signed with them, which was April last year or March or April, that was still, that was kind of more of what I was talking about. And so, and, and like, yeah, and presenting was, was coming through more. So they signed me knowing that, that, that was the, the deal, but then actually, and I did a few presenting, you know, a couple of presenting jobs with them anyway, and some little bits and bobs. But in my head, I said to myself, right, I'm going to go tell my agent that I'm taking on this drama job, like four days a week, but I've got this day to write or do meetings or do any jobs and I'm going to tell them and I'm really I'll be really sad if it doesn't work out but if they drop me they drop me this is what I've got to do to be happy so I went and she was exceptionally understanding like she I think she said she has clients who you know who work part-time and do this kind of thing a lot and at the time I also said look I'm really anxious and I need to feel I need to feel more secure and this is going to give me that security and I said I've, I've really been anxious and I'm not sleeping and like that's just the truth and she was like I really understand a lot of people feel like that and this you know go through that so I totally understand and that's absolutely fine she she literally was so cool with it so I, I'm so grateful to to them actually they've been brilliant about everything and they've worked work around how I can work basically that's brilliant I think it's like really important lesson to just um be true to yourself I think it yeah. can be very easy, especially if you're earlier on in, in what you're doing in your career, to just want to please people because you don't want to like maybe miss out on opportunities or upset people and like, oh, you know, if I do this, then maybe they won't think that I'm serious about my career. But actually yeah. it can also work the other way and people can respect you. And I think nine times out of 10 will respect you more if you sort of like speak your truth. And if they don't, then maybe they're not really the right people to yeah. work with. Yeah, that's my thinking exactly. and. And actually, and it's like you said, I come to a point where I was like, look, I know myself and, and also that feeling of like, I've done, I've done enough things now where I've been really, I've, I've shown myself I can do it. So if it, if it doesn't work out, then like my, my work ethic before has paid off. So I'm sure it can pay off again in the future if I want to try something different. And if it, if this isn't the moment, if they drop me, that's okay. You know, at least I'll be maybe able to sleep better because <laughs> I really, really wanted to sleep. Yeah. So yeah. Okay, great. So what so what are you focusing on writing wise at the moment? So like the, the main thing is and it, it always sounds like a little bit of lettuce when I say this, but I am writing a I am focusing on writing a children's book. I haven't got a deal, but right. I, I know children as an audience. I've been in and read I've read parts to the kids in school, so it's great because I can try out on them. I've got like re, you know, I've been I buy books like this. This is the sort of like book style it will be you know what I'm aiming for middle grade for research and I sit and I I'm, I'm redrafting my first draft at the moment but I've got no deal nothing no contract my agent knows I'm writing it um and that's my mate that's like my my main project but my, I have done some writing jobs this year so I've done um my main uh, two things I've, I've done I've got a I've written a monologue for CBBC um which will come out it's due to come out later this year with don't know what the filming um schedule will be like but they uh studio a studio called studio 71 um 
approached my agent and just and my agent said I think you'd be good for this send a pitch through so I sent a couple of ideas through and they were a bit too grown up actually because um it's actually for a teen their teenage platform they're trying to do some more stuff for teenagers I think CBBC so um then I actually was like really busy at school I had some productions on I started going in on my day off to help with rehearsals and things but so my head was a bit all over the place but I was like God, I need to pick I, I, I don't want to say no like I, I know I'm busy but I need to pitch this thing so I, I sent off a pitch and actually they were like yeah this is great it's really funny how these things work out because it was the one that I would just sort of sent off quickly and um and they had about 200 submissions and you got down to the last 11 and they were going to like they're going to commission five so then got down to the last 11 had another meeting chat with CBBC in the studio and it got down to the last five and they commissioned it so it's a five minute monologue um and it's um called the main part and it's all about um a girl who gets given the, who's mixed Indian and English and gets given this main part and she gets given it because of who people think she is and what she can do because of her heritage. And it's all about her, her like unraveling of the truth about what she could, can do. Um, and I, I think, and I'm not sure if I can say, again, say any more, but that's, that's basically the gist of that. So that was, that was really nice. Cause it's now, t I've got like a CBBC credit, which will be hopefully good for like the, the children's book. And it's been, it was a great experience. Like the studio are fantastic at putting notes, like giving me notes. And then I really learned from those notes. I was like, oh God, it was like a coaching exercise in itself. Um, so that was like, a, I think maybe six to eight week process going back and forth. And then I've just written some sketches for Horrible Histories as well, which is great because that's Amazing. a dish that I, yeah. Um, I again didn't fit went along to like the explainer day and I was like oh I feel a bit out of my comfort zone because everyone's really clever and historical here um, but actually there was a lady it's all about someone I always find that there's someone who has just has your back a bit that helps you because again I was a bit like oh, I'm not sure and she was like look you know I was like I hadn't really submitted anything um, coming up to the deadline she was like look just she's like she's like I'm send it in like I'll try I'll, you know she was really encouraging and I was like okay well, she's really trying so I'm going to try so I wrote them on the, on the train, between the train home and coming, like I had an hour because when I got home, I had something else to do. So I wrote them on the train, the pitches, and they commissioned um, two out of three. And then they also commissioned an extra one. So yeah, so I've been writing for Horrible Histories, which I, as a teacher, I absolutely, I used to use all the time in the classroom. And I remember doing, doing it for a year five drama scheme of work with the year five boys and they loved it. So yeah, that was really nice from, to be able to write for that because big fan of horrible histories so that's those are my commissions this year basically that i've done around drama teaching love that it's amazing that's brilliant that you like sounds like the transition has sort of happened quite smoothly yeah i mean like definitely the the, the cbc came at christmas and then horrible histories is more recently and yeah obviously between that i've been writing just trying to write my chapters in my book and get on with that but that's that's the stickler because that's the one that I keep telling people I'm doing and nothing's come of it yet and I feel a bit like they're like oh yeah another teacher writing a book you know yeah. <laughs> but you just gotta keep going haven't you yeah there's lo these long form projects they take as long as they need to take yeah they do like I, yeah I don't know I don't know about you but I find I, the big battle I've found that I'm getting to the other side of is allowing myself um, Allow myself to stop. So if I, if I hit a brick wall, just say, okay, you know what? It's not happening today. Just do something else. How, yeah. how, are you quite regimented in terms of, right, I've got to write between these hours every day. I know you say you schedule like a creative 
sort of part of your day every day but is there a certain period yes. you say right i have to i know i have to write for a minimum of two hours or is it more of a case of like well you know i'm not really in the mood to write today so i'm not going to write yeah i think i would like to be more like a schedule two hours person um i think to myself i i try and get something done towards it if i'm having a brick all day then what i'll do is i'll like read i'll i'll read a synopsis thing online about about inciting incidents in, in middle grade fiction and or I'll read a bit of a book like that I bought like a middle grade book right if I'm finding it hard because I have sat at the computer when I've had a brick wall and it's been like excruciating just being like oh my god and I've, I've, I've written when I've not been in a creative mood and it's rubbish it's like I'm writing an essay just trying to get the job done and I'm like this isn't actually anything. so but then yesterday you know I wasn't scheduled I wasn't going to write anything and then something took me and I was like, and I started writing. So I think I produce better work when I write when inspiration takes me, which isn't that helpful because I have a set day off a week that I do my writing. But I have, I have a mixture, Steve. But, sorry, I can't give you a clean answer there. I'd say sometimes I schedule and it works and then sometimes it doesn't. I think that's the same for everyone. So you, you, but you attempt to try and write six days a week then? No, I write, I write one, one day a week. Oh, one um, day a week. Okay, sorry, because like you said I have to give myself a day off. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, sorry, what I mean, so I'm very clear here. So I teach, I'm very lucky. I teach Tuesday to Friday and Got Monday okay. is my day off. So Mondays are the days that I do my, I will do my writing. Um, okay. I've had Mondays where I've either had to go into school because we've got a play on or I've just not felt the inspiration. So I've, I've tried to do something else towards it if it's not physically writing. However, okay. when I did, I've had commissions, when I've had writing like the CBBC thing, I actually did write on the Mondays. And that's funny, isn't it? But, but I feel like because I had someone to answer to, I had a structure. There's, there's a funny thing. The one thing I'll say about this creative work is I've de what I'm, the main thing I battle with is, is permission. So I find when someone gives me permission in whatever form it is, like a, a commission or, or says, your work is good, we're going to do something with it, I'll go, okay. And then that completely transforms my mindset. Whereas some days I'm like, oh, you don't need permission, just write it. But I feel like I've got this weird thing about permission in my head. Do you know, does that make sense? Yeah, I think because also you can sort of like draw a line between hobby and like career. And if yeah. you're being, if you're getting commissioned, you're being paid to do something, then in a way the pressure is on. And, and sometimes having that pressure can be a good thing. And, yeah. and when it's something that's like, well, you know, I'm doing this thing. It doesn't really, I, I don't know what will happen with it. It's much easier to sort of let it, it drift along or be like, well, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah. You can, it's, I, I know, I, I, I agree. I have the same thing when it's a, when it's a paid commission then I'm like laser focused yeah. on it. But it's also, it's, you're right. It's about, um, the pressure, but it's also, you get the validation that what you're doing sure. is the right thing. And that's, and that's the thing I, I, I think is the key thing for me is that I have a problem. I'm bat I, That's what I battle with the most is that like, cause sometimes people, it, it, it could be that someone reads a bit of my book, children's book, and they validate me and then I'll write some more. But, yeah. but I find it hard to validate my, like I'll have days where I unvalidate myself. It's weird. <laughs> I, there's no consistent feeling of validation. It's like, I wish I was one of those people who's like, I'm going to make it. Yeah. And then I'll, every day I'll write and I'll be like, you know, doing it. But then I have days where I'm like, no, no, I'm not. This is not me. I'm going to just, you know, and it's just like a flitting thought, like roller coaster. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be writing stuff sometimes and thinking, is this, is this any good? I don't know. I have no idea. 
and and you need that outsider's opinion or you like you said you need that validation from someone to say oh, actually no oh this is really good yeah and then you're like, okay cool i'll i'll keep doing this i'm not deluded after all yeah so that's the that's also a big part in what what makes me sit down to do things so again when when commissions come through then other stuff comes through and you know and the other thing i would say is actually like i do work more better when i'm at when i'm teaching so if a, if a school holiday comes along again i put that fancy where i'm like oh i've got two weeks and i'm gonna write every day and it just doesn't happen and it reminds me of that is there is there a phrase something like if you want a job done ask a busy man or something isn't it or busy busy man or woman because it's the it's that whole thing when you're when you when you're in that cycle of like timetable routine i do find that it does help rather than just having a span of time in front of you totally yeah um i think you're having the luxury of time can have the opposite effect whereas if you just know you've only got this period of time to do it that's going to motivate you more to to get it done because otherwise that's that window of opportunity is gone yeah exactly yeah true but ultimately just for i do feel very privileged to be able to be in a position to do to do it to do this um you know regardless but yeah there, there are some little battles you have to overcome always always I, I don't know if that would ever ever goes you know there's always no matter how successful you are you know how much higher you go up there's always going to be a new battle that you're going to be dealing with yeah yeah you're just, right. you just got to be a you know peace with that oh yeah there's there's always going to be something and but yeah. everyone everyone's got their own they've all everyone's going through something you know you're right no it's true it's very true so yeah i think that's it it's, yeah once but being more at peace with myself and my decisions, like over through, through scaling back and not being at the forefront and having to be the forefront myself and stuff, for some reason that, that has helped me to feel like more more settled, you know? Because I was yeah. really, it was a really fun time, but I feel more settled and calm now. I can I can sense it. Like just speaking to you, it's great. Like and also because it gives you clarity, you know. Like, this is what I'm focusing on right now, rather than oh, I've got one. You know, one foot here, one foot there. You know, yeah. I, I say this, and I'm doing exactly that. <laughs> yeah, are you but, still doing? Are you still doing different jobs, Steve, at the moment as well? Um, I'm and doing my, similarly. I'm doing right. I'm writing. I'm doing stand up. Yeah, but obviously at the moment, not so much. Yeah. Uh, well, not not any apart from on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but mostly focusing on on writing at the moment, and um, hopefully once those things when those things can be made directing them um, yeah so and, and a bit of acting here and there cool that's so, great so you're still with your acting agent and doing like self-tapes and things as well <laughs> no i'm not i'm not okay. i i similar to you i decided not to focus on that but it was because i wanted to i made the decision that i mostly wanted to act in things that i wrote and directed yeah, um fair. Like, like Swiped, for instance, is like that's a perfect example. So I signed to uh, an agency for writing and directing. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, the projects that I'm, I'm creating at the moment, will I'll either, I'll play maybe like a, a side role, you know, or a lead, depending if it's appropriate. Um, yeah. Or not at all, or not at all. You know, I'm happy just to like write and direct. So just, um, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm enjoying that. I, like you. I didn't really enjoy the um, audition process, the self-tape audition. I still do. A few. It's more now a case of if someone asked me, like I did a, was in a sitcom pilot before lockdown. A friend of mine wrote and directed it. And he just said to me, oh, 
are you up for doing this? And that's obviously the best scenario where you don't have to yeah. audition. But yeah. having said that, I still were going for a few auditions here and there. Um, but I just got to a point where I found all the prep work I was doing for the auditions uh, was taking away time where I could have been writing my own projects. And then right. I just sort of came to a point where that's the priority for me because I was just getting frustrated. Yeah, I, I can that 100%, yeah. And obviously it's great when you get them. And, um, but yeah, I, 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 because it's a, it's a weird thing. I've, I've, I've found myself in different scenarios in audition rooms. I found myself as a director or producer sitting on one side and I found myself yeah. as the actor going in. And, and I, I'd, similar to you, I sort of asked my question, what, which bit do I enjoy more? And I enjoy the, being the person who makes the decision as opposed to yeah. being the person that sort of has no waiting to be picked out of the pile yeah yeah Yeah. i definitely and 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 that's probably partly due to my personality you know that's i like to you're a a creator as well so it's it's if you're a creator that that will pull i'm sure that pulls you more you know that desire to be that be on the other side as well yeah for sure for sure so um a couple questions i'm going to ask you before we wrap it up any books you've read that have a, had a big impact on you that sort of stand out in general? Yeah, God, loads. I've done, I've done, I've done loads of, I've listened to loads of audio books over the years, self-development books. Um, and I have to say, like, it's quite, it, it's quite a, a popular one. And I was thinking about this the other day, but it pops up a lot in my head when I think about what's helped. And I have to say, feel the fear and do it anyway. I think it's by, I think her name's Susan Jeffers. Okay. Um, it's an old one. I listened to it on audiobook, but I used to listen to that on the way to improv classes. I used to listen to it on the way to the radio when I first started. I used to just put bits on and be like, okay, like, let's see what Susan's going to say. Because I, I was sh- often shitting myself um, a lot. And then the whole concept of that is like, you know, fear, like a bit like you said, where habit, you know, things don't go away. She says, you know, fear actually will never go away. You just got to learn to live with it and do the thing. Um, and so that actually got me through a lot. So. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Probably, oh god, there's there's a lot really, um, a lot of books, um, but that's the one that sticks to that that comes Great. to mind. Great. All right, and a question that I finish off with: I ask all the guests on the podcast, what does the idea of balance mean to you, or not? Or not balance mean to me, or not? Yeah, I put the, I always put the or not bit just in case people, because there are some people that just don't believe in it at all. Don't believe in balance the concept of it or the philosophy behind it but it's down to interpretation yeah um balance to me is um about prioritizing first of all um and then balancing those <laughs> because i think if you're in if you're imbalanced it's probably because you're not prioritizing the best you can and i think that 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 might be more difficult i totally respect that things like that become more difficult when you've got um kids or you know family life like you know I've only got to manage myself really but I think balance to me is about like first of all really having the guts to be like okay what what do I need and what's important to me um am I still chasing the right thing or do I need what do I need for me it's about what going what do I need what do I want and then working out what those things were prioritizing them and then balancing those things out like a platter basically and being like okay just pop them all on um and also i'd say the other thing i do um i don't know if i hope this is answering your question still is because of the way i work and what because i know what i need to prioritize i'm often the initiator so 
I know that I want to keep in touch with certain friends, but I know that if my life's going to be a bit hectic around certain times. So I'll be like, I'll schedule the, I'll be like, I would like, do you want to do a Zoom call or do you want to do a, do you want to meet up this time? And then I'll tell them the days and I'll, <laughs> it's a bit manipulative really, <laughs> but I try and get in there first so that I can achieve balance because I want them to know they're important to me or that that plan is important, but I know that it's going to be crazy. So I try and get in really early and get in first to plan things um to achieve balance because if I live this kind of like casual day-to-day like oh what's tomorrow because I have I do have friends who are a bit more like or or people in my life who are a bit more like oh I'm free as the bird next week I can't be like that I've got to schedule things in in advance because I want to do the thing I want them to know they're important I want them to to have my time with them or to do that thing but I need to do it on my terms because I have to balance it all out does that make sense it's a bit selfish that makes, makes perfect sense no that's great Really great. All right. Well, look, thank you so much. Great speaking to you. So there we have it. Jen Wakefield, a lovely conversation. Another week in lockdown and another book binge for me. I have bought so many books and I was talking to a friend about this and I said, I feel overwhelmed. I've got so many books. I don't know which one to start reading. And he said, yeah, I used to go through that. And that's why I only buy one book at a time on Amazon. But I just feel like in this time of lockdown, it's something to do in it. Also, it's quite, it's very, it just gives you a bit of a dopamine rush when you do get it delivered and it feels like it's a present. You know what I mean? You get that feeling, don't you, whenever you get an Amazon parcel. So it's something, something to keep me going during this lockdown period. What have I bought? I've, I've bought so many books. I bought uh, Amy, Amy, Pol- Amy Poehler's, Amy, I never, I never could pronounce her name. It's Amy Poehler, Amy Poehler. Yeah, Amy Poehler in it. Yeah, I bought her, her uh, autobiography. Um, I got uh, Stephen King, a memoir on writing. I got Woody Allen's biography just because Larry David said in an interview that it was the funniest thing he's ever read. So I had to read that. I feel like I'm saying that like I'm, I've got to justify myself because obviously the murky shit around Woody Allen, but I don't think I need to justify why I'm buying a book. Obviously I do because I said that. What else? i got loads. I'm, look, I'm trying to look on my bookshelf while I'm, while I'm, I'm recording this. But yeah... You can just hit me up if you want to know, if you want any book suggestions, but I'm sure you got plenty of your own to be to be getting on with. Also, I started the sellout, you know, it's a really funny book by Paul Beattie and I just couldn't get into it first. And I spoke to somebody else who read it and they said, no, you've got to get past the first chapter. This is like huge, uh, long kind of monologue. And then once you get past that, it gets really good. So it's like other books that I started reading and then stopped that I kind of want to get back to. And then on top of that, Audible. And then on top of that, all the stuff to watch, you know, films, TV series, podcasts. I mean, bloody hell, this lockdown is just ridiculous. There's just so much, so much uh, entertainment available. I just don't know what to do with myself. I'm in a right pickle here. But so it's not, it's not too bad, is it? It could be worse. Could be worse. Well, for me, I'm just saying my, my predicament, the predicaments that I'm talking about, they're not real. Not real predicaments, are they? No, they're not. No, they're not. Okay, well, look, as always, thank you very much for uh, for listening and um, all that jazz. Subscribe, rate, review it. It's lovely when, when I see a new review in the podcast bit on Apple. It uh, fills my heart with joy. So you, you, you're, doing a, you're doing a good service. You're doing a good deed. Uh, when you do that, just just for me, just so you know, just puts a smile on my face. Uh, all right, well, look, until next time... Uh, have a good one. Bye. Balancing Acts is now made in association with the Comedy Crowd, who are a website 
and community that support independent comedy creators such as myself. I have a comedy crowd short, which is a, a two minute video one of my characters on their website. They showcase the best new videos on Comedy Crowd TV, which is comedycrowdtv.com and across media platforms. So do go and check them out. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.